going through the last several months. What's God doing in my life? And anytime I share a youth lesson or speak or, or be up here, it's always about what God's drilling into me. It's not something where I have arrived and I am just blessing you with my knowledge. Uh, it's I am walking through the same stuff and it's what I'm digging hard in the word for and trying to figure out about myself. And so um, today, if you look at your paper, there's a little toolbox up there. And uh, to feel a little more comfortable up here this morning, I surrounded myself with tools. Those of you that don't know, I'm an automotive mechanic. I own an automotive repair shop and uh, working with my hands daily and tools are my joy and my safe place of comfort. They're my friends. Sometimes they're my counselors when I need to get out some rage. Uh, and sometimes they are thrown out of rage as well. Um, so we've got two toolboxes up here. We've got this guy. This is a, what we call a roll cart. A little bit smaller. I didn't bring the big, fancy, flashy toolbox for two reasons. One, I couldn't put it in the back of my truck by myself. And for two, I didn't want to give any of you guys toolbox envy. It's, it's a really hard thing to work through in your life, toolbox envy. And so I didn't want to put you on there, so I just brought the simple roll cart today. Um, well, we're talking about a little bit about the enemy. If you've looked at your bulletin, we've got Satan's toolbox. And we've got God's toolbox. And over here, this silly little 1970s craftsman box here, this is representing Satan's toolbox. And uh, over here is God's toolbox. And as we focus in on this today, we're going to talk about the enemy a little bit because what God's been working on my heart is looking back, we've had, my family and I have had an amazing year of celebrating weddings, celebrating life, um, spoiling our children. Like our 2017 has been amazing. But to look at some of the things we've walked through with some of our friends, some really close friends, we have seen like the enemy's action and his tools working. And we walked through um, a divorce with some close friends of ours. And when I got that phone call uh, back in March... Brandon, we're, we're getting a divorce. It was just like a dagger in my heart to have two believers that are just pursuing the Lord to see the enemy walk in and make a mess of things. It was just brutal. And it was like somebody had just called me and said that your best friend has died. And it's just divorce is a nasty thing. And I think we've all, people in here have experienced it firsthand or we've all know somebody who's, who's dealing with it, and it hurts, and it's ugly, and it's painful, and we walked through that journey, and just, I could see how the enemy snuck in, and twisted a few words, and, and gave a few ideas, and it, it made itself at home, and, um, and so I, I'm motivated to speak about what Satan is, is bringing to the table, which is not much, and I'm not here today to talk about the power of Satan and to, to be fearful because he is, he is nothing. He is weak. All he has is temptation and power that's just minute. And uh, you're going to see by my examples today, obviously in toolbox sizes, uh, the enemy over there has a little bit of toolbox envy 
because he's just sitting over there with no wheels, one drawer, just hanging out. And so we're going to walk through some scripture. But before we do, let's pray. Dear Lord, we just praise you and thank you for this day. I thank you for every person in this room, God. You've brought us here for a purpose and for a reason to hear your word today. So Lord, I just pray you speak a new word, loud and clear to each and every one of us as we roam through your scripture today, God, that you teach us anew, you renew our minds to view how ridiculous the enemy is and how great you are. And then if we got the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, inside of us and we're living for him, God, that the enemy's got nothing on us, Lord. And so, Lord, we, we look at that today. We remove distractions, allow us to forget about what's going on outside of this building, and that we can just focus in on your scripture today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, back to, back to Satan real quick. A couple of thoughts on him before we get rolling that I wanted to think about. As I was going through this, um, let me read this definition real quick. I mean, the, the definition of the devil, the name means slanderer, defamer, and the one who accuses falsely. So, all his powers and words there. And then, he was an angel who was tossed out of heaven. His pride, his arrogance, wanted to be like God. He got the boot, along with one-third of the angels. And if you guys want to do a little study, angelology, demonology, that stuff's intense. I went to Bible college. That part of the theology class was like, like, like crazy. We don't talk much about angels and demons and spirits much, which we should. We need to be aware of their action and their function. But um, Satan was one of God's greatest angels kicked out of heaven. And what I want you to think about, and maybe you already know this, and, and simple-minded Brandon is just coming to light here, but as I was thinking about Satan, a lot of times we view him as God is on one shoulder, Satan's on the other, and you're facing a decision, whatever it is. That guy cut me off? Do I speed past him? Do I bump his bumper? You know, Satan's over here. What do you do? And then you got God over here, represent the Lord, you know. And, and sometimes in my head I think of that. I've got one on one shoulder and one on the other. But let me just point it out today that Satan is not omnipresent. The enemy is not everywhere at the same time. And I, that just was very important to me as I studied this, that the enemy is not always with you. He's not hanging out on your shoulder just waiting for you to help you make a decision. The enemy is not omnipresent. And so he also has his demons, his little minions, that can run around in the spiritual realm and mess with people and, and speak words that are false and things like that. But they, the enemy is not here all the time. And I think sometimes we put God omnipresent everywhere all the time. Satan, same thing. No. He is not with us all the time. And so we're going to walk through that, through some of these scriptures. 
and it'll show us, you know, we're about to read Genesis 3 here, and we'll see that uh, Satan comes and goes in and out of the scene. He's not just there. Uh, in Job 1.7, I just wanted to read, I've been spending a lot of time in Job this week as I've studied who is the enemy. Um, Satan's interactions with Job and God there is pretty interesting. But Job 1.7, I just want to read real quick. Have you come from, the Lord asked. Satan answered, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. And then in verse 12, then Satan left the Lord's presence. And so just one quick little snapshot. Satan comes and goes. He's not always around. We cannot see him the same as God, that he is always present. He is not as powerful as God. He's extremely weak. And actually, um, believers who have the Holy Spirit within them, followers of Christ, we are more powerful than Satan. And sometimes we're like, oh, he's so big and powerful, and look at all he's done throughout history. No, we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us, and that is way more power than the enemy will ever have. And so we need to make sure we put Satan in his right place, which is this little tiny sad toolbox over here that he doesn't have much to work with. But he takes the little that he does have, the little platform, and it's up to us to equip ourselves and to be in right relationship with God to know how to filter Satan's schemes. So let's dig in the word here. We're going to start Satan's Toolbox, Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Let's go ahead and put that up on the screen. Verse 1, it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? All right, word twist number one right there, the devil. She answers, Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said... You must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So you see the twist word actions there of what the enemy's doing, and just the definition of his name, slanderer, defamer, accuses falsely. He's twisting the words. And then just one more nugget. Keep going if you have your Bibles. Just right there, verse 6. The woman was convinced. That's all it took. Twist this word here, twist that word here. Oh, okay. Grab the fruit and eat it. And you know what I thought? This was just last night. I was reading through this one more time. Just last night I read that and it said the woman was convinced. And I thought, man, we are dumb people. (laughs) And like in scripture, Jesus shows us as we are the sheep, he is the shepherd. There's a good reason for that. If you know anything about sheep, they're very unintelligent. And so what did I do, as any millennial would do? Last night I went to YouTube and Googled dumb sheep videos. And if you do that, it's hilarious. But like we are, a sheep without a shepherd 
is just a sad, sad lost soul. I watched one video. This guy was filming a sheep running along a fence side, trying to get back in the fence, and he just kept, he'd run 10 feet, jump right into the fence. The top half's barbed wire, the bottom half's like chicken wire. And he'd get his arm stuck and be like, and just sit there a minute, the sheep. And then gets his arm out and then runs 10 feet and then just takes a hard left, jumps right into the fence again and does it again and does it again and does it again. And then later in the video, his head is fully stuck in the fence and he's just kind of sitting there. All right, I give up. Stuck in the fence. And then the other video I watched was two sheep following each other across this mountainside. It was like a 60 degree angle on a rock face and it was raining. And this guy, this mountain climber is just filming it. Like, watch these sheep. These two sheep, no shepherd, no flock. Um, just walks out on the rock, slips, slides, falls 80 feet to its death. What does the other sheep do? Mah! It just falls the other sheep right off the cliff. I'm like, you kidding me? And so a, a sheep without a shepherd is a sad, sad, lost thing. And so that last little nugget there in verse 6, she was convinced. You know, you just stop there. You're like, really? Like, you, you know the Almighty. You're in relationship. He gave you the garden. He gave you one rule, a couple twisted words to make it sound like right here. He's, he's trying to make it sound like God's keeping something from Eve and Adam. Is God doesn't want you to be like him. He wants to be up here, and he wants you down here. And if you eat from that tree, you're going to be equal with him. Go ahead, take a bite. You know, our, it starts to stir us up inside of like, hmm, I want wisdom. Give me that fruit. And so we see those tools right there. Let's go over to 1 John 2, 15 to 17. says, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. So we got physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and proud in our achievements. We need to look at that verse right there and make sure we need to look right in the mirror and ask yourself, are any of these things driving my life? Are any of these things making my decisions? Because if they are, we know we're over here in Satan's toolbox trying to get pleasures of the world. Let me just show you what's in this box. Let's see what the enemy's got. What's this little guy here? Not just any screwdriver, a flathead screwdriver. I dislike flathead screws with a passion. I mean, you can't get the leverage, you don't have the right side, it slips, it strips, you break your knuckles. Flathead screwdrivers, ridiculous. That's in his box. What we got here? Adjustable wrench. When all else fails, make it whatever size you want it. That's the enemy right there. Not, you know, not very useful, not very practical. Never the right size. 
just universal. It's just a universal tool to try to make things work. That's what the enemy's working with. A flathead screwdriver and an adjustable wrench. So as we keep going through these passages, that's all we see. A little twist here, a little twist there. We come out of God's word, and that's all he uses against us. So let's go to Matthew 4. This is where Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days, and Satan tempted him. I'm just going to roll through verse 1 to 11. You can see how the enemy is working on Satan. I mean, working on Jesus there. So I'm going to read right out of here. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. All right, so stop right there real quick. What does it mean to be a Christian? The term Christian is Christ-like. So as we pursue a life of Christianity, we are pursuing a life to be like Christ. What is Christ's first line of defense to the enemy? What do we see right there? Scripture, back of his hand. He already knows a passage, ready to go, ready to defend, and ready to get the enemy's lies out of there. So, test number one, Scripture, boom, right there. And then we just see the enemy test Jesus and his his powers, if you will. You're hungry. You're the Son of God. Turn that rock into bread. No big deal. And so he he challenges that. So next, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. So what just happened there? The enemy took a Bible verse, took it out of context, tried to apply it to this situation, and said, Come on, Jesus, it's in the Bible. It's in the scriptures. It says you'll be protected. And so right here we can actually see the enemy. The enemy knows the word. Satan knows the Bible. He knows the grammar on these pages. And so we got to know that he knows it. And then he can take it out of context and twist it. I don't know about you and this culture you live in or how you were raised, but I see a lot of scripture taken out of context and twisted. And we see it in our... Society, we see it in our politics, our governmental decisions, and we see it even in very popular Christian writers, artists. They'll they'll take scripture and take it out of context and make it into something that it's not. Something that is not true because it doesn't line up with the rest of scripture. I gotta step back off of that. I don't wanna keep going, but you guys know what I'm saying. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. End of conversation. 
Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of the Lord. We can speak to the enemy and we can say, Satan, you're canceled. Get out. Get out of my house. Get out of my relationship. Get out of my workplace. Get out of here. And you can take that wherever you want. But don't be here. Amen. Amen. Next passage, Galatians 5, 19 to 21. This is the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Bold ending there. Um, we, can, we can see scripturally, they use this example all the time, a tree and its fruit. You can tell a tree by the fruit that it bears. And we know the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to end today with the fruit of the Spirit passage. This comes right before it. But this is, you can tell the fruit is coming out of somebody's lifestyle, somebody's choices, whether they're in hot pursuit of the Lord or being interrupted by the enemy. And so we look at this passage, 519 to 21 in Galatians, and we read through those things. And as you read through each item, each word, is that something that's a part of your life? Is that something, as Mitch talked about, that was so perfect, as he talked about going into a house and you always have that one room that is the project room where you just throw all your junk in that room to get the rest of the house presentable. Um, and you invite God in, but you don't let him to that one room that's kind of a mess. We need to look in the mirror as we read through these passages and say, is that fruit that I'm bearing? Are those sin issues that I'm having, is that actually part of my personality and do I need to get back on track I mean that's the boldness of Galatians five nineteen to 21 because in verse 21 the end result is you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven if you are living this way so that's very important all right first Corinthians six eighteen to 20 flip over there real quick Run from your sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. 
Again, our culture. Um, you may have heard the term sex sells. You see it in magazines, in commercials, in movies, in uh, what we wear, the clothing we wear. Our culture today is just flooded with sexual sin and sexual temptation. And the enemy uses his silly little crescent wrench to throw that out there and say, you want that, or you need that, or you should be doing something different. And so with that passage of just focusing in on, okay, again, looking in our own hearts, looking in the mirror at ourselves, and we read these passages, is this, is this going on in my life? Is this the fruit I'm bearing? Is this a place where I need to get, tell the enemy to get out? And we need to make sure that we are pure and clear of his simple little schemes. And then John 10.10 10. Most of us know this verse about Jesus speaking about the enemy. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Again, that's Jesus speaking. So if there is killing, stealing, or destroying, we know who's at the center of that. And it's, it can be in the physical sense, but who is... Are you having your joy and your peace being stolen from you? Is your marriage being killed or destroyed? And, and when I read this passage, it just makes me want to stop and, and remember in every single situation in our life, who is the enemy? It's not our spouse. It's not our boss. It's not our peers. It's not the person in the situation who is the enemy. We have to remember who the enemy is. And it's not the people standing before us. But it's the spiritual battle around us. Alright, those are the heavy verses. That's where we need to look into our lives and say, is that, is that me? Now let's go over to God's toolbox. Hebrews 4.12. Great verse. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So the Word of God. I have a tool in here to represent the Word of God. It's the Word of God. You can't represent any sort of tool other than the best one that God has given us. And that is his word. This is our filter. I thought about getting creative with like car parts and bring in a car air filter and explain how that keeps out all the trash out of your engine to keep it clean and running good. In the same way, the word of God is our filter for life. And everything we experience, everything we hear, everything we do needs to be filtered through the word of God to catch all of the enemy's trash, the world's junk, everything that can cause us to stumble, we have to filter it. If we're taking in all the stuff from the world and we're not filtering it, we just had a car a couple weeks ago that had no air filter on it, drove through a rainstorm, and the engine completely exploded from the inside because it had no filter. And that is our life if we're not filtering what the world's throwing at us through the Word of God. 
So hang strong to Hebrews 4.12. James 4, 7, and 8. Simple. So humble yourselves before God. All right, humility is not simple. But we're called to it. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Humble yourself, resist, and the enemy will flee. I'm probably going to talk about this like three more times, but what Scott's been talking about the last 16 weeks, Romans 12, 1 and 2, about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, We renew our minds daily, whether it's watching the television, we're renewing our mind with some sort of substance, or we're in the Word of God, we're renewing our mind with the Word of God. And so what we need to check is, what are we inviting into our lives that we are renewing our minds with? And this scripture hit me real hard several years ago, really when I became a a full-time youth pastor, of my choices in movies to watch, to go to the theater and watch. And I don't care how holy you think you are or that the enemy can't touch me, but whatever we put ourselves in front of in that movie screen, uh, we're renewing our minds. And we're, we're allowing the enemy to come in and sit next to us and tap us on the shoulder and say, hey, what do you think about that? What can we do with that thought or that image or that idea of life? And so we cannot let the enemy sit down with us. We tell him to get out of here and he will flee. James 4, 7, and 8. Mark 12, 30, and 31. If we could wake up every morning and read this passage and make it our mission for the day and then read it again two hours later and then read it again at lunch and then read it again again, we will be on track. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So if we're making decisions to go out in the world, are we doing it based on loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, strength, mind? If we're making decisions outside of that, why are we making those decisions? Where are we at? James 1.12 God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. There's that word we talked about a couple weeks ago, endurance. We don't really want to ask God for endurance because that means we're having to go through something. Um, But what's exciting about there is a reward, receive the crown of life. So I've got something in the toolbox here. One of these drawers to get excited about. Very important tool. Chocolate. Got to have that in the toolbox. 
one, one of the greatest things about my job is one of the places that we buy parts from, every time they deliver a part, they give us a bag of candy. And it's awesome. Like, when we buy parts from there, we know what's coming. We're not worried about the job or the part. We're worried about the bag of candy. And we all have different places that it's distributed. Johnny gets the bubble gum every time. Bubble gum. I get the Sour Patch Kids or Swedish Fish, depending on what came in the bag. And then there's the mints and the other things. They go in the coffee cup next to the register. And you, you guys get those mints when you come in to bring your car. And so it's exciting to have that good news of a reward and to be able to have that motivation as we endure hard times. All right, Ephesians six ten to 17. We all should know this word. It's an easy one to do in the kids' program. thought about like having Curtis and some of the youth come up and, and walk through the armor of God to be fun, but let's just listen to the equipment that we are provided with to fight against the enemy here. It says, A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly realms. Again, remembering who the enemy is. Not the person standing in front of us, not the government we live under, not our spouse, not our co-workers. The enemy is the enemy. So therefore, suit up. I put that in there. Put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I'm a very visual person. And when you give me an idea, I turn it into a little cartoon in my head. And when I read this passage, I I think about myself and other believers who choose to go out in the world missing a piece of that armor. I'm just going to get up today and put on the shoes. I just need some peace. Let's put on some shoes and go out in the world, forget the shield, forget the sword, forget the helmet, and then the enemy's arrows are just flying in the air. And you, how, how can I stop that with my shoe? You can't. You need more than just the shoes. You know, it's like a football player saying, I don't feel like wearing my shoulder pads today and going out in the NFL football game, and they will get crushed and be out on a stretcher very quickly if they just decide to not put on one piece of their equipment. And so we really need to take the simple layout that we've probably heard this passage a dozen times all the way back to when we were little kids back in the preschool doing the armor of God. It's cool, yeah, sword, shield, helmet, yeah, battle, medieval times. But 
to read the definitions of each word, of each piece of the armor that we need to put on, why would we go out into the world without a piece of our armor? We just, you don't go into battle that way. You don't go on the football field without your padding. We don't go out into this spiritual realm without our protection and equipment. So suit up. All right, these next two, I like these a lot. James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. We were not meant to walk through this life alone. The God, God has put a community around us. Just take this church, this room filled, filled of people right now. There is accountability around us. That if you're walking through a sin issue or a struggle or the enemy just has you by the ankle and you just feel like he's not letting you go, circle up. Let people in. If you're stumbling on a sin Whatever that sin may be, it could be language, it could be stealing, it could be pornography, it could be whatever. you got to call people in to back you up. You cannot beat that. You cannot defeat that on your own. We weren't meant to. We have fellow believers around us. We have community. We have the church to get the enemy off our ankle and keep moving forward and not let him steal what God has created for us. So in echo to that, Galatians 6.2, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. And so NIV version says carry each other's burdens. Like when we, we've got something we're walking through, it's on our shoulders, it's on our back, it's heavy. If it's the enemy clinging to our ankle, causing us to stumble on this same sin day after day, day after day, we have fellow believers to help pick up that burden. Again, we're not called to walk through life carrying all this weight ourselves. If you've been doing that, if you're feeling that conviction today of that issue that you've been dealing with, you, you feel how heavy it is that you've been carrying it all by yourself. And we are not called to carry it all by yourself, and we may not overcome it if we don't let other people come in and carry it with us. Let's just amen again. Amen. Results. This is just scratching at the surface. One of the tools God has given us. This, this is not your little notes paper here that's now there. This is not all that God has given us to get through this. These are the highlights. These are the cliff notes. These are the scriptures that God brought to my forefront to talk about today. There's so much more in the Word of God to go against the enemy. So this isn't it. But with that, when we get work out of God's toolbox, when we're pursuing Him, when we're using the equipment that He has given us, then here's the life that we get to live, Galatians 5.22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. So no matter, no matter the circumstances, no matter what you're going through, if you need, if you want to live a life with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the fruit that is being growing off of the trees of, of truth from God's word, if you want to bear this kind of fruit that Galatians 5.22 is talking about, then we have to work out of God's toolbox. And we have to filter what the world is throwing at us. And so just to cap it all off, we'll wrap it all back in. I kind of already spilled the beans there on Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. And just as I was talking earlier, every day we're renewing our mind with something. So what are we renewing our minds with and as I look back to Eve's response in Genesis 3, 6, where it's just simply, she was convinced. That's all it took. Twist two little sentences, twist the idea of the character of God, and she was convinced. How are we protecting ourselves from being convinced by the world around us? And we're doing it by being in the word of God. And so be sure you're not a Volkswagen Jetta driving around without an air filter because you will explode from the inside. But you need your filter to filter what the world's throwing at us every day. And I don't, again, I don't come to give Satan, the enemy, and his little demons any credit. He is weak. We are more powerful than him as redeemed believers. And he's got nothing but twisted words. So when twisted words come at us through friends, family, TV, whatever, we have to filter it and know what we're basing our lives on. And we will live a life filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Is that not the life we want to live? I don't, I don't want to live angry. I don't want to live in selfishness or in pride. If you've been in that place or you're in that place right now, that's not a fun place to be. We're just off focused. So let's take these passages today. Apply them to our lives. Let God do his great and incredible, mighty work 